Hey, I recently did my own commentary on the entire book of Job. And what I wanted to do in a few minutes is share a little bit about what I learned reading the book. I've read it several times, but this is the first time that I've read it with the intensity that I've that I read it this past time. And what I learned from the book is about the absolute sovereignty of God in all affairs of life in this uh in this earth realm. All right. What I learned is that God can allow or cause, listen to me very carefully, he can allow or cause those of us who are in him, the righteous, to suffer. And that suffering is always with what I would call a velvet touch. I mean, no suffering for anybody is pleasant. It's painful. It's irritating. Gets on our last nerves. We wish we wouldn't have to go through it. But but for reasons that sometimes we don't know, we have to suffer. And that's what Job had to do. I mean, in the first two chapters of the book, it talks about how the sons of God, which makes references to angels, most likely they present themselves before God. And then it says Satan also comes and presents himself. And so God and the devil have a conversation. God says to the devil, he says, where are you coming from? He says, well, I've been walking up and down in the earth, you know, going to and fro. And then surprisingly, God makes a proposition to, to the devil. He says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. He's upright. He fears God and he shuns or avoids evil. And the devil claps back to God. He says, ha, does Job love God for nothing? He says, look what you've done for him. You've blessed everything that he has. You've blessed the works of his hands. He's he's living fat. He's he's living large, as we would say. He's living the good life. He's opulent. He's got manservants and maidservants. He's got flocks and herds and those type of things back in those days indicated a person's wealth. The devil said, hey, you take all that away from him, he'll curse you to your face. And so God said to the devil, now mind you, they're having a conversation about Job and Job, of course, is totally unaware of this conversation because this is happening in heaven. This is happening in, you know, out of the earth. And so God said, hey, everything that he has is in your power, but you can't touch him. In other words, you can't harm him. You can't hurt him. You can't kill him. So what happens? Satan takes away his fortune, you know, kills his servants. And then the worst part of all is that his children are killed. He had 10 children seven sons and three daughters all of them are killed and after that happens the bible says that job tore his clothes and poured dust on his head and sat in ashes and this was a an ancient way 
of expressing extreme grief and sorrow. And it says he worshiped. He says, naked I came into this world and naked I'll go out. He said, um, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. How many of us would do that? I don't think I could. Keeping it real. However, Job was a man who was connected to God. It gets worse, though. The second chapter, the devil and God have a conversation again. And God says the same thing to the devil. He says, where are you coming from? He says, I've been, you know, I've been in earth walking up and down in it. He says, have you considered my servant Job? You know, he's, he holds fast to integrity, even though you've incited me to do him harm. And then the devil claps back at God and says, skin for skin? Man will give for his life, but if you touch his flesh, he will curse you to your face. So God, once again, allows, listen to this, he permits the enemy, the devil, to afflict Job. And he says, yeah, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. And so the devil afflicts Job with painful boils. He becomes, I mean, he becomes sick. He's diseased. And so this kind of starts the ball rolling of Job's trial. I mean, amongst his friends, his friends are blaming him for being a rotten sinner because obviously in their mind, they had what some people called a, I guess, a, like a sowing and reaping type of theology or cause and effect type of theology. In other words, their view, his three friends whose names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they were older men and they figured they would give Job counsel and say, hey, look, the reason why you're going through what you're going through is because you're in sin. And once you repent of that sin, God will restore you. You'll, you'll gain your health and you'll get your fortune back. And Job declared his innocence throughout the entire time that he went back and forth with these men and argued with them in a series of uh, debates. I mean, and that, that from, it begins from chapter three and it goes all the way up into like, chapter I believe like 27 so for a period of 23 or 24 chapters Job is debating with these three men about his plight and about his affliction and about his life and they are very very uh, uncompassionate they instead of trying to comfort Job and try to console him and, and try to maybe perhaps to pray to God and intercede for him all they do is blast him. All they do is uh, rail against him and they criticize him and they rebuke him. They say, obviously, man, you've messed up somewhere. You've, you've committed sin. You've robbed the poor. You've, uh, you've violated the, the homeless, the widow, and now your sinful ways have boomeranged and hit you upside your head. So what are you going to do? And Job, throughout the entire time that he's debating with these men, is retaining his innocence. So this is a case where the righteous do suffer. 
<clears throat> and this and what I learned from you know this whole experience reading the book of Job this this last time is that God is in complete control of our lives and he can cause our lives to be easy or he can bring pain or allow it to happen to us and obviously there is a redemptive element that we have to learn throughout our trials remember what the book of James says in the first chapter says count it all joy when you falls into into divers or different temptations and tests knowing that the the working of your faith produces patience but let have but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing so the purpose of the trials the purpose of job's trials was to strengthen him and was to drive him to a point where he would go to god and ask God what is going on and help me. Job never lost his faith in God, but he did accuse God of wrongdoing. He did make the mistake of saying that God doesn't treat the righteous and the wicked uh, differently. In other words, he, he was saying that it doesn't matter how you act because if I'm righteous and I'm being treated like this, then what's the point of being righteous? So his focus was off, and once God encountered him and had to rebuke him in chapters 38 to 41, Job put his hand over his mouth and says, I'm vile, I'm a sinner. He says, I repent in dust and ashes. So it was a way whereby God could afflict Job. Now understand this, even though God was afflicting Job, it doesn't mean that he ceased to love him. He always loved him. But he put him through through a hell. He struggled mightily. I mean, he was so upset and so distressed about his life that he, he wanted to die. And anybody that would lose their, their fortune, that's difficult enough. But to lose your offspring, that's enough to want a person to maybe just slit their own throat and just and die, commit suicide. Because obviously their life which was once blessed has now become a curse and you become a become what the Bible called a byword or a proverb in other words you're a symbol of ridicule and and scorn and embarrassment and humiliation to everybody around you all the people that you knew that respected you and that regarded you as a paragon of virtue and a counselor and a a source of um, help all these people now despise you they spit upon you they ridicule you they talk about you they they hate you whereas first they loved you and this is all the stuff that Job talked about in the book and he's like what in the world is going on what did I do to deserve all of this and that's what we generally do say when things are going well in our lives and all of a sudden it takes a 180 degree turn and now everything is absolutely upside down and the life that we were living that was well has now become a terrible life however once Job confessed his sin in his in his presumptive behavior toward God and, and, and making false accusation, accusations against the Lord and once he interceded for his enemies his friends who had become his enemies his three friends which was once again Eliphaz Bildad and Zophar once he interceded for them because they spoke what was wrong 
you know, in the name of the Lord and God rebuked them for it. Once they repented, they offered sin sacrifices and Job, who was still God's man, interceded for them. They were restored. They were forgiven and Job was doubly blessed. So what he had before, he had twice as much as he had before. God blessed him with 10 more children and the Bible says at the end of the book in the 42nd chapter that he lived 140 more years and he died at a good old age. So all of that that he went through was to so that he could have an encounter with God Almighty because he asked for that encounter. He asked to meet with God. He says, I want to talk to God so I can present my arguments to him. I want to either talk to God or I want there to be an arbitrator between God and I so that I can plead my case and I can complain to him about what's going on in my life because I don't understand it. Why am I going through this madness and I don't deserve this? I'm innocent. I haven't mistreated anyone. And so therefore I need answers to my questions. What in the world is going on? Why am I going through this? And isn't that what we often say too in our lives when things are going out of control? We're if we're in Christ, we question where we may have slipped up. Now, if, we're, if a person's not in the Lord, then they're simply going to curse and blame God for their wrongdoing. However, when their lives were, were good and they were living fat, so to speak, or they were living in a, in a good place where there's shade, and where there's plenty, where there's ease, they weren't thanking God then. They probably were patting them, their, their, own, their own selves on the back saying that, you know, I did this. You know, I, I've worked hard or I've gotten lucky. And so they're thanking the universe for their good fortune, whatever that means. And the universe had anything to do with it. The fact of the matter is that God allows a sun to rise on the just and the unjust. And he allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And so... Everybody receives common grace and common blessings from God, no matter who you are or how you're living. But when God decides to pinpoint you and allows you to go through a trial, that lets you know that he's, um, he's got his bullseye on you and that he's trying to work a refining work in you to make you better, stronger, more faithful, and that much more effective for the kingdom of God. As strange as it may sound, God has decided through his own infinite wisdom to put us through the grinder, so to speak. And the way that he does that is through trials, through difficulty, through pain, through misfortune, through death, through sickness, all of that. It hurts. It sucks. We don't want to deal with it. If, we, if we're keeping it real, we want our lives to be easy. We don't want to deal with it all this uh, heartache and hell but it is part of life experience and it's and it's a result of the fallen nature of man all right but for those of us who are in christ we have to remember that we have an eternal hope we can't give up and god has not left us he has not forsaken us but just like he did with paul in second corinthians chapter 12 you recall is that paul said because i was receiving all these revelations to keep me humble humble excuse me God, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me and I asked the Lord three times to remove this thorn in my flesh because it was irritating me, it was painful it was annoying and this is what God told Paul he says, my grace is sufficient for you 
my strength is made perfect in weakness. And if we can recall and bring up the word of God to, to our minds and remember what God has written to the men and women of antiquity of of the old old time, the old Bible times, then we can receive encouragement from God that okay, if you got them through their trials and their pain and their fiery uh, situation, then you can get you can get us through as well. And at the end of the day, Job came out victorious. Job was better for having gone through the trial that he under had to undergo than he was prior to the trial coming into his life and afflicting him the way that it did. Now, Job's experience admittedly was very, very grave, very, very dark, and put him literally to the point of death. Death for him at some point, as far as Job was concerned, was a comfort. It's like, it's better that I be dead than alive. If I'm going to live like this, why am I even here? You know, I'm a mess. I'm sick. My, my own wife has even turned against me and has told me, says, do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die, man. In other words, his own wife turned against him. But then I heard one preacher say not long ago, I mean, Job was not the only one afflicted in this trial. So was his wife. I mean, the children that Job lost were also her children. And so she was going through as well as Job. But of course, the focus of the the narrative was was on the man Job. So trials are designed to strengthen us, to perhaps humble us if we're in a state of perhaps maybe some type of arrogance, or it's it's, it's a teaching mechanism. It's a very painful teaching mechanism, but it is it is one nonetheless that God may see fit to put us through, and not because He doesn't love us is because he does love us and I believe it I mean it's for our good even though the situation is not good it is ultimately for our good and remember what Joseph said at the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50 when his when he became prime minister of Egypt and their father Jacob had died remember prior to him being sold into slavery his older brother sold him to uh people called the Midianites and they took him to Egypt and he became a slave but once he was able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh he became second in command in all of Egypt and so Joseph later on in life he says what you did you did it for evil but God meant it for good so what am I saying here ultimately the fact that Joseph went into Egypt that was the Lord's plan the Lord used the wickedness of Joseph's older brothers to have him sold into slavery so that he could actually be the prime minister and save their lives because what happened later on is that there was a famine and it was a worldwide famine and in order for Jacob and his sons and their family to survive they had to go to Egypt to buy bread. Egypt at that time, which was around the 19th century BC, was the breadbasket of the entire world. So if you were going to survive, you were going to live, you were going to have to go to Egypt because that's where the grain was stored. And so that's where the 
Joseph's older brothers had to go to and then they, they reunited with him ultimately and he saved their lives, his father's lives, his brother's lives and their family. So even though what they did had was nothing, pure, it was purely evil, purely motivated by evil by selling him because they hated him, ultimately it was God behind the scenes who orchestrated that, that whole scenario through the wickedness of his brothers so that he could be sold into slavery, meet up with the Pharaoh, interpret his dreams, and so it caused that Pharaoh of that time to trust Joseph with everything that he had. He's like, in other words, who's wiser than you since God is with you? And if God is with you and he's, in, and he, he's given you the ability to interpret divine secrets and dreams, then I need you on my team. I need you to run my country. And so, in essence, Joseph had practically the same power as Pharaoh. The only difference was that Pharaoh was the monarch and the king, and so therefore he outranked Joseph. But Joseph is the one that no doubt ran the country and in essence ran the world at that time. So even though it was painful, Joseph was put in jail because of a phony rape charge. And when you read the Genesis account, uh, he had interpreted the dreams of a, a butler and a baker and he asked, I believe he, he asked one of them, says, hey, look, he says, when you uh, talk to Pharaoh, you know, keep me in mind, remember me. But the guy forgot. And so Joseph stayed in the prison for two years. He finally was released once one of them said that, hey, there's a man in prison. He can interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream. And so once he was released out of prison, presented himself before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh told him his dreams, and he interpreted the dreams, Pharaoh was sold. He's like, I need you on my team. You're going to run this country. Only I will be greater than you. So out of that tragedy, out of all that pain that Joseph went through, he rose to the top. And if we trust God through our pain, through our suffering, through our misfortune, through our trials, and we don't blame God, but we stay faithful to God, we pray to him and, and just don't give up and be persistent in prayer and knowing that God is with us, he'll see us through as well. All right. So that is a little bit of what I learned about the book of Job. It is a book that is different, unique, but it's a fantastic book, and I would invite anyone that really wants to learn more about the character of God and about how God woos over all things. Crack it open and read it. All right? We'll talk soon.